thank you for listening to episode number 17 of The Fix, giving you education, solutions, and troubleshooting for the baseball pitcher, featuring pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, publisher of OnBaseball.com, as well as MetsToday.com, which is part of ESPN's Sweet Spot Network. Angel holds a master's degree in sports science. She's been a strength and conditioning coach for 35 years, and for the past 20, she's focused specifically on investigating pitching deliveries. Pitchers from the little leagues to the big leagues go to Angel to find the solution that will take them to the next level. Now, she also works with pitchers recovering from injuries. She builds programs that get them back on the mound, and she also finds and corrects the flaw or flaws that led to the injury in the first place, and that's why she's the star of this show. So we have a lot to cover today. Without further ado, let's get Angel on the line and get started. Angel, you there? I am. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. Doing, doing really well, although I, I can't say the same for a lot of Major League pitchers these days. Uh, we've had a, several injuries happen. I don't know if you heard about any of them. but um, Yes, I did. I know. Well, it's well, bad. It is. It's just, it just doesn't stop. Um, one, one of the ones that really stuck out for me, uh, a pitcher named Tyler Skaggs, who pitches for the Angels, mm-hmm. he, was, he was in the middle of throwing a no-hitter, uh, or he was pitching really well. He had like six strikeouts and two walks in, in four innings, and in the fifth inning, uh, he, just, he just walked off the mound. He, he said uh, he, he had some elbow issues, uh, walked off the mound, um, on the one hand, I th- I thought you know you never want to see a pitcher get hurt, obviously. But um, what I was happy to see, if there was anything happy about it, was that he recognized that he had an issue, and even though he was pitching, you know, the game of his life, he still took himself off the mound. He realized that you know this one day, you know this this one day wasn't could you know wasn't worth possibly hurting himself over the long haul and he took himself out of the out of the game uh afterward he said like he said he felt like he overpronated his arm on a changeup. um the exact quote was my forearm more like my flexor tendon completely tightened up on me i couldn't really feel my fingers i tried to pitch through it i still got a strikeout on jj hardy but it was killing me um and then after he struck that guy out, he was facing another another batter, and Skaggs said he didn't really know where the ball was going. And he walked the next guy, and um, then he threw one more pitch, and then he called the trainers in. Um, the, the preliminary evaluations, the diagnosis is a forearm strain. Uh, the doctors said that his UCL is fine, and he has full range of motion. And from what I understand, the the most recent diagnosis that I heard was a pronator mass strain. Um, so what exactly is a pronator mass strain? How does that happen? Okay, well, we've talked about this before. And uh, so first, uh, and I'll give the same demonstration for anybody who hasn't heard it before, but if everybody takes their uh, take their dominant arm, whatever arm, and just turn it upward, your palm upward, and make a fist, and then bend your wrist with your knuckles coming in towards your forearm. You'll see that right below the crease on the inside, you'll see the muscles uh, contract. 
because the flexor pronator mass is that mass, it's called a mass for a reason, is that mass right below the crease on the inside of the elbow when your hand is facing upward. And the muscles that that bent the hand, the wrist, bent the fingers into the hand, bend the wrist in towards the forearm, and also the pronator, which actually, even though it turns the forearm, it also flexes the elbow a little bit, meaning it bends it. That mass right there is a very, very important mass of muscles that controls fingers, it controls wrist, and has some effect on the elbow. And all those muscles insert on the inside of the elbow. So when you've got kids getting medial epicondylitis, which is inflammation of that bone that's sticking out, or you've got what we call flexor pronator mass strain, that's what you're straining. And the reason why everybody's so worried about it is that mass is actually one of the main protectors for the UCL, which is underneath it, connecting the bones together. So we we rely on that mass to be strong and to be uh, not fatigued. So what happens is, and they've done tons of research on this, they feel that the number one reason why the UCL blows is because the flexor pronator mass broke down from fatigue, or it broke down, and they believe the number one reason why it breaks down is pitching with fatigue of those muscles. That is why it's so important during the season to continue to strengthen them and then in the off-season to really build them so that they can handle, you know, throwing 90, 100, 120-some pitches in a day. So the reason why his fingers went numb is because of the fact that uh, the muscles that he, the, the way that he affected that pronator mass had something to do with the the uh, nerves crossing the wrist that are associated with the muscles. So, um, yeah, and I think one of the things I read that I, was a concern to me is they were talking about Joe Nathan, and they were saying, wow, mm-hmm. it seems, uh, what, is it Joe Nathan that had, um, did he yes. have this same issue? Okay, and I think yes, they they were talking about, um, oh, Ashley, you know what, I'm mixing this up because Joe Nathan was, uh, I'm th- mixing this up with another injury, so let me hold on to this story. Remind me to come back to okay. when we talk about, are we going to talk about uh, Matt Cain today? We probably will. <laughs> good. Well, remind me to bring up Joe Nathan because there's something important about this. So I want to hold that story. But the thing about this okay. is that they say, that they're saying, and it is true, is that, uh uh-oh, when you get this, is the UCL going to blow down the line? And most guys that had UCL surgeries had this symptom or had this pathology before they had the surgery. So it's great that he came off the mound. He did not stop throwing right away. He probably felt something. He probably threw X number of pitches. And then his fingers went numb. And the reason why he couldn't control where the ball went, and this is an important thing for coaches to to really understand when you're dealing with location issues, is the wrist is responsible, and the way the wrist moves through acceleration is responsible for where that ball goes. When he says he didn't Hmm. know where it was going, it meant he didn't know where his hand was because he couldn't feel his wrist. So that's interesting right. what he said. He he stayed in too long because right. the symptoms and started, it, I'm sure, with tightness, and then they went on. So he tried to pitch through it, which is never a good idea. Right. Now, a pitcher – now, this, this leads me to an interesting question. If a pitcher who normally has 
really good control suddenly starts losing control and it and it doesn't seem to be an issue of you know his mechanics going out of whack or anything else if if it's if it's a you know something where he's just not not able to place the ball where he normally can you know that could be an alert to hey maybe maybe the pitching coach should go out and and talk to him and say you know are you able to control are you unable to control the ball because you can't feel the ball or you're having some issues with your fingers i mean that would be a a preemptive thing for a coach to do right um I, I think that uh, the question that a coach would want to have, when, when, a, when a pitcher is missing and he's just missing the way a pitcher misses, that's one thing. But if you've got right. a pitcher who all of a sudden the ball is going three feet over the catcher's head, it's going into the bleachers, uh, you, obviously you want to talk to the pitcher, but two things can cause that, that, that are related to possible injuries and so they're indicators. One is if there's a tear mm-hmm. in the labrum or a rotator cuff issue going on in the shoulder, the head of the arm is not sitting solidly in the socket. In other words, it would be like having your tire ha- lose um, whatever it is that connects the tire, like the nuts and bolts. And all of a sudden, if you've ever seen anyone drive down the street and the tire's going all over the place and you're like, hey, your tire's going to fall off, that's the way the arm sitting in the socket would actually behave. And so sometimes when a pitcher says, I don't know where the ball's going, what he's meaning is his hand-eye coordination isn't making sense. He thinks his hand is in one place and it's not. So that could be a shoulder issue. And that's very common, by the way, with what coaches call pitchers who get the quote-unquote yips. The yips has got some components to it that can be physical. So that is something that's very important to know. And then, again, if there's ever numbness in the fingers, that can come from these flexor problems, and it also can be coming from something going on in the pitcher's neck uh, with the nerve system that feeds down through the shoulder into the fingers. And in that case as well, the musculature through the arm wouldn't be working correctly. So, yes, it is the job. You should know your pitcher well enough to be able to ask the right questions. And the pitchers, hopefully, should know themselves well enough to be able to recognize when something isn't right. When the pitcher thinks he's doing one thing and something else happens, I mean, most pitchers know when they don't throw a good pitch. But if all of a sudden, like he said, I don't know where it's going, that's a different scenario, and you need to listen carefully to hear what the pitcher's actually saying. Okay. Now, um, ironically, I just found out that another pitcher has been diagnosed with a pronator mass strain, and that's Cliff Lee. Uh, Cliff Lee had, I think he had the same elbow strain earlier in the season. He missed, he missed a few months. He just came back about a week ago, uh, pitched, I think, one or two games, and said he he had some inflammation in his elbow again, had some discomfort. So I believe he's going back on the disabled list. Uh, you know, you from know what I understand, it's, it's a very similar injury to. The first, uh, do I know what? The second. Do you know the time frame between this first incident? I think you mentioned he came back and pitched a few games. Can you give me the time frame of the first injury or the first soreness he had? And I guess he shut down, and then I guess he came back, and then he has it again. Do you have any idea the calendar time involved in that? Uh, I believe that his the first time he went on. I mean, he first went on the disabled list. 
I want to say it was early in the season. It was probably, um, I think it was April that he went on the disabled list originally, April or May. It was it was pretty early in the season. I don't I don't have the exact time frame though. Okay, so he was, and then he had just returned for two games. I believe it was just I believe it was just a game or two, yeah. Because I I remember him, I remember seeing that he pitched. Um, actually, it was he. It was his third start. He he. He was out for two months. He was activated on July 21st. Um, he made three starts, and he actually he actually had thrown every every inning that he threw from. He he thrown like two and two thirds scoreless innings before he came out of the game in that in that third start, and then he just came out. That was that. He he took himself out of the game. He had no symptoms until this third game. Nothing that was made public, as far as I know, you know, he was feeling good and everything was okay. Well, here's the deal. He had flexor pronator mass strain. You said he went on the DL somewhere in probably May, and he came back in July. So I know that sounds like a long time, but that's a May, June, May, June, July. I mean, I don't know the original date, but you're dealing with less than 12 weeks. So here's here's the thing about the, the pronator, and you, you we know this from the picture we were just talking about, Skaggs. That muscle, if it's not strong and it can't repeat a performance, it starts to fatigue. And if you've had an injury in there and it fatigues, it starts pulling on the tissue in a way that it doesn't like, and it will shut you down. Pitchers shut themselves down because that pain and that soreness feels awful to them, and it's probably one of the most scary things for them other than hearing a pop. And so when you're looking at a pitcher who was pulled out of the season with this kind of diagnosis, not only does he have to have time to rest it, and then he has to spend minimally three weeks, minimally, really on a strength training program that that, when he's not even playing catch, then you've got to reintroduce him to playing catch, and then you've got to put him through so many feet of playing catch, and then you've got to put him back on the mound, and then you've got to kind of simulate a game because if he can't pitch, 45, 60 pitches on a bullpen, he certainly can't go in a game. So I'm trying to figure out how they did all that in that short time frame. So that is maybe what happened. He went back too soon. Um, and or okay. and or he, he wasn't conditioned enough for the level of play that he was playing at. And, you know, he is one of my favorite pitchers, so I hated when I heard this. But um, something is off to me with that timetable, but you have to do the right things during the time when you're uh, when you have an injury and you should have no surprises. Right. Now, I'm not saying they did something wrong, but uh, it, it's an indication that something was going on that they didn't know about. You really need to know everything. You need to have, you need to be 100% almost that things are going to be okay, you know, except for what you can't know. But, um, yeah, something sounds a little off to me with that. So it'll be interesting to see if this is now the second injury is always worse because yeah. it means it went back too soon that he wasn't healed. And so he ripped something open or he aggravated something even more. So he probably increased his healing time. He may be out for the season. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it sounds like I, I did a little bit of research um Apparently, he originally went on the disabled list on around May twentieth, around that time, and he was diag- he was diagnosed with a grade one 
slash two elbow strain, whatever that means. Um, and the idea was that he would be shut down for at least a week. And then, you know, they, they said he wouldn't, he wasn't likely to return when the DL stint expired. That would, that would have been only 15 days or 21 days. I can't remember which. Um, so it was May 20th to June 20th is one month to July 20th. So it was, it was exactly, it was, it was just about eight weeks that he was off. And, you know, I wonder if, um, he wasn't rushed back or tried to rush himself back because the, the trade deadline was coming up on July 31st and maybe he wanted to showcase himself for a pennant contender, or maybe the Phillies wanted to showcase him and, and show that he was healthy. Maybe, maybe he and the team, I mean, you know, I'm just, this is all pure speculation. I have no, you know, I have no, um, information on any of that, but it's, it's just interesting that you say he probably needed more time to recover. And it just so happened that he came back, you know, a week, a week, uh, two weeks before the trading deadline. You have to, you have to wonder what the motivation was for him to come back because the Phillies are, they're having a terrible season. I mean, they're, I, they're in last place. They're about 10 or 15 games below 500. They have no chance this year. You know, so there wasn't any real reason to rush him back other than if maybe they thought he had some value on the trade market. So who knows? He went back July 21st. He was off May 20th is when he got injured. That's eight weeks. Um, yep. Depending on what, you know, when they go grade one, grade two, eight weeks, to go through all those steps somewhere the, to me, you have to really strengthen a muscle before you have that pitcher throw again, and you need X number of weeks to do that, and hopefully he's already been doing it, so you're not like bringing him into a program that's new. You're just upping something without him throwing. So, Because I deal with this all the time, so I know time frame. So, uh, yeah, so um, it's, uh, it's iffy, but I'm hoping and scared for him that the second injury is um, going to be worse and I hope that's not the case. I hope I'm wrong about everything I'm saying, actually. So Yeah. Anyway. Well, we'll see. Um well how would how would you I mean I, I'm what I'm guessing is that to avoid a recurrence of this kind of injury is just to take the proper time and and, and do the things that need to be done in order to get better. Right? Well, yes, definitely you have to go through all the steps, but you have to you have to come up with a theory as to how it happened. It's no different than investigating a murder, a burglary, a detective uh, who's out trying to figure out. You, you have to come up with a hypothesis as to how did this happen. Can it just be overuse? Can it just be something that just happened. Absolutely. But you need to have gone through the steps to determine if you're saying that actually is the case. You don't want to just say, well, we think it's because he's been throwing harder, throwing more, or whatever. No, you have to actually go through an investigation to figure out what actually is going on. And that means talking to him about for example, we know that if the shoulder's fatigued, it, the elbow can blow out. You know, have you all of a sudden, were you having, you know, some shoulder fatigue? A pitcher may not connect that dot, having anything to do with his elbow. He might say, hey, well, you know what? The back of my shoulder was taking a little bit longer to recover. Okay, boom. Now you've got something going on. Secondly, you need to look at his outings. 
And plus, they only had three to look at. You know, that you need to yeah. look at this and you need to compare that to, to, you need to look at the last outing he pulled himself out of for the first injury in May. And then you need to look right now and you need to ask some questions about pitches, et cetera. And you put together something and then you know what you have to do to protect him from having a second injury. You have to look at film. You have to look at film in a way that is, as a detective trying to troubleshoot, if you know the part that was injured, you already have the address of the problem. Then if you know how that part of the body works in the motion and where it's under the most stress, then you can go right to that part of the motion and take a look at it. And this can be qualitative or it can be quantitative. You can go so far as to have electrodes. Uh, well, it would be too late, obviously, because the pitcher already pitched. But you can have, you have to have somebody who knows what they're doing take a look frame by frame it and say, okay, this is where we think the extra stress came. And if there isn't anything, cool. But you have to do, you have to go through those steps. Or you're sending your pitcher back out into a minefield. The body doesn't hmm. just break down. 99% of the time, all the breakdowns are predictable and avoidable. Right. And maybe 99 is a high number on the avoidable part, but I think we're better when we think about it that way. That way we don't skip through the process and go, oh, okay, four weeks rest, throwing program, get back on the mound. No, there's another important yeah. step in there. Yeah, so that's what, uh, yeah. So these second injuries that occur, guys that have this happen and then maybe the injury goes to the next level and they have something else happen, that, that to me is a sin. Because if something already happened and then it happens again, that means that that step probably wasn't done. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like what's happening is, these these pitchers have injuries and then you know for they that step isn't taken where they where they figure out why why the injury happened and then they don't address it and they don't fix it and then it happens again i mean that's that's that seems to be the the protocol unfortunately because we see too many recurring injuries and and too many you know forearm strains and elbow strains of pitchers and then you know next thing you know they're having tommy john surgery like you know, af- after they've been DL'd and after they've supposedly gone through a rehab process and they still, you know, have another injury in the same spot. So, well, that's why we do this show every week, right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, my, my uh, conspiracy theory that, that maybe Cliff Lee came back a little little too early because of the trading deadline brings me to another subject, which was the trading deadline itself. Uh, I know you're a bit of a fan, and I know you noticed that um, a few players were were traded, some really major pitchers. Um, David Price was sent away from Tampa Bay. John Lester was traded from the Boston Red Sox. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting because one of the reasons that these pitchers are traded, and this, you know, this is from what I understand from... Uh, the, the things that I hear and the things that I read, this isn't my theory. Supposedly there's a theory that major league pitchers, once they get into their age 30, into their 30s, uh, it doesn't make sense to give them 
long-term contracts and, you know, these big, like five year, seven year, multi hundreds of millions of dollar contracts, because the theory is that most pitchers start to go downhill after the age of 30. And there's a, there's a few examples that people point to. They point to CC Sabathia. Um, they point to, um, Justin Verlander, Mike Hampton, Johan Santana, Barry Zito, um, Matt Cain, who another pitcher that we need to talk about today, who also was injured. Um, you know, that's that, the theory is that, you know, once you get to 30, you know, you might still be a, a pretty good pitcher, but you're going to go downhill pretty quick. And I was curious what you, what you thought about that theory. Well, as a human being, I'm thinking, and I think every guy out there, if you put yourself into the position of thinking, what would it be like or what would, ha- what would it have been like if I found myself at 25 being great at what I do and then five years later I'm considered done? And it doesn't make any sense to me that we think that something like this is okay now, if the major leagues was doing everything right and this was happening, I wouldn't probably be looking at it this way. I would probably look at it more like maybe a football player who, yes, he takes a beating in five years. But what's upsetting to me is that, and I'm very passionate about it now because in the next year and two years, I'm going to have a lot of my pitchers be drafted. I'm absolutely sure of it. And so I'm starting now to become concerned on a different level, more than just that I've always been concerned on. And if a pitcher has got five good years before they start looking at you like you're, uh, you know, you've got to be traded, this and that, and or if in five years your performance is proving them right, something's wrong. And we know that, Things that wear a pitcher out are not having enough recovery, are uh, not getting on top of injuries soon enough, uh, all the things we talked about today, not going through the steps to protect them. bothers me is we all, we've always talked about the major leagues as a business. So their job isn't to necessarily, I mean, they don't, I don't think they think their job is to necessarily protect a pitcher from everything. But if you have a business and you've got policies in place that actually are a detriment to the health and longevity of one of your key players, and then, and then, which is sort of like in a way a punishment to them, and then they're punished five years down the road because they're traded, because, and if it's true, and I have heard this theory as well because of the age, it, it feels like they're getting double whammied by a system that isn't really designed to protect them. That is why I preach to each pitcher, and I'm preaching it, believe me, every day to the guys that I know that I work with that will be drafted, take care of right. yourself. Unfortunately, there's rules in place that a pitcher can't just, you know, I mean, I don't think a pitcher is going to go up to his major league coach and say, I just started on Sunday. I don't want to do a bullpen on Tuesday. When all the major league pitchers do bullpens on Tuesday, if they make a start on Sunday, they're doing a bullpen two days later. The number one reason why these guys are getting injured is probably just that one rule. So I think yeah. that um, I think there is a problem with um, uh, it, it's self-defeating 
And I, what I'd like to see them looking at with the statistics is, fine, make your decisions based on the statistics that show that once he's 30, there's going to be trouble. Do that now. But also look at the statistics and say, why is this happening? And is there anything we can do to change the statistics? Is there anything we can do to where guys who are 30, who are just coming into their own as men, can actually be getting better at their skill, not worse? And I think that's what I'd like to see the Major League uh, Baseball system do or somebody do it. Yeah, I I have to agree with that because it just it doesn't seem to make sense that, you know, when when uh, people keep doing the same thing over and over again over many years. I mean, I I do understand that that bodies can break down and especially male bodies start start to break down at certain time, depending on, you know, things that are beyond our control. But uh you know, we see pitchers starting to wear down. You know, guys who are throwing 92, 93 miles an hour in their early 20s are, are going down to 88 at age 27. Something's wrong. You know, it, you know, we see, we see that all the time. And, and, they, and that's the thing that I don't understand. How does velocity go down when a pitcher's still in his 20s? And then once they get into their 30s, you know, everything's breaking down. Um, you know, they're having multiple surgeries. They're having... Uh, second surgeries on a lot of things. They're having, you know, two Tommy Johns. Uh, you know, you can't, there's only so much you can blame on, on before they get to the, the big leagues or before they get signed. You know, they, they love to, they love to blame a uh, youth, youth ball and all this other stuff. But I mean, once they get to the, to the big leagues, it, it seems like they, they need to change something. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again, continue to see these people break down and just expect it and just plan for it why would you just plan for failure why can't you put some investment and and um research into maybe prolonging these these people's careers instead of just expecting them to break down and and then trading them away i mean that's that's basically what what the red sox and the tampa bay rays have said i mean you know the rays i I understand they don't have a lot of money to spend that they're not a big budget team but they essentially traded david price partially because they couldn't afford him, but also because they felt like he wasn't worth, you know, a six-year, $150 million deal or whatever he's going to get. Now, the Red Sox, they have as much money as anybody. And, you know, John Lester just turned 30, and, you know, he's one of their best pitchers, has been one of their best pitchers, but they're, they have felt that he wasn't really worth the risk after age 30 that was that was a big reason it wasn't it wasn't that they couldn't afford him the red sox can afford anybody um and they they traded him away because they felt well we don't want to extend him because you know the statistics tell us that you know age 32 33 34 these pitchers are breaking down they're not as effective and i don't see why they can't i don't understand why they can't be i don't i don't think you have to be a freak of nature no or or take HGH or steroids or whatever, as maybe some pitchers have in the past. I don't think you need all that. I, th- I think it's just a matter of, you know, following following rules and and keeping on top of things, like you said. And I don't know, maybe maybe someday we're going to get there, but we're 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 not close, especially if we're getting to a point where major league teams are accepting the fact that this is what it is because it's inevitable. Well, as I said, well, if, if if they're making business decisions based on statistics and, and, and research does reveal tendencies and trends. 
So the decisions they're making probably are sound decisions for them. But as I said, they need the statistics need to be viewed from a different perspective. Why is this happening? And if not by the teams, by the pitchers themselves. Every pitcher, any coach, any father that's listening to this who has an 18 or a 20-year-old or 22-year-old son that's about to get drafted or go into the major leagues needs to have the take-home message of this being what can we do to stay in the driver's seat to ensure my son's or my longevity? And, you know, you mentioned Sabathia and Johan Santana. Sabathia just had knee surgery. If any physical therapist or any orthopedic surgeon stood behind a catcher and watched the way he placed his front leg down with the knee turned in and his foot turned in, you wouldn't let your little kid walk around like that. Of course he blew out his knee. Of course he blew out his knee. Johan Santana, two labrum surgeries. Well, that's what happens when you put the ball near your ear and strain the labrum in that way, and he never changed it. So when we see these older guys breaking down, here's what really happened. They had some mechanical things, rules of the bone they were violating. And just like your kids who are 16 and 18 or 14 or 12 can fall off a bike and get up and brush themselves off, you can't continue to do it as you get older. So what we're seeing is violations of bones that end up breaking down. And my, I would say that probably 85% of the guys that break down that are breaking down consistently is because of something they're doing that isn't as efficient as it could be. Now, Am I dreaming that the major leagues is going to change? No. But my message always is, guys, get in the driver's seat. Take care of yourself. Make sure your body is being used correctly by you. And these guys in the major leagues, they're already there. They're already pitching the way they pitch. But right now, for every father and coach that's listening, Make sure your son isn't setting himself up for some disaster because of something he's doing now. Now is a great time to change it. And guess what? He'll be better and he'll last longer. And that's the take-home message from all of this. It's sad, but you, we need to learn from what's going on. Agreed. Well. I think uh, I think that's a good note to uh, end on. We had some other subjects that we wanted to discuss, but I think we can table them for next week. Well, it's possible that I'm a little biased, but I think this was a pretty good show. We got a lot of really interesting topics covered. I want to thank thank everyone again for listening to my conversation with pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. If you want to learn more about Angel's background and how she takes pitchers to the next level, visit her website, gymscience.com. Uh, You're going to find really good, fantastic free articles on pitching mechanics and injury prevention. And most importantly, that's where you can find Angel's book, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, which fittingly is a book full of strength and conditioning exercises specifically for the elbow. And it includes a full program for keeping the arm healthy during the off-season and in-season. Again, that's gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. And for more about me, Joe Janish, uh, you can visit MetsToday.com or OnBaseball.com. You can follow me on Twitter at OnBaseball. Thanks again for listening. We hope you learned a little bit, and we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.